Good morning. Lovely to see you all. Um, for anyone who doesn't know me, my name's Paul. I'm one of the ministers here. And uh, it's going to be my pleasure to talk to you for a few minutes. Um, we're going to read from the book of Colossians in the New Testament. Uh, it's only a very short reading. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to pick up a Bible, there's Bibles by both doors. So feel free to go and grab one of those if you'd like to. Um, by all means, look it up on your phone or iPad or whatever device you carry. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. And if you have got one of these red Bibles, it's on page 1184. And I'm just going to read a few verses starting from verse 9 of chapter 3. Everyone found it? Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I grew up watching Doctor Who. Um, not, not the new Doctor Who, obviously, though I, I love that as well, but the real Doctor Who, the one with John Pertwee and Tom Baker uh, and all of, those, uh, all of those original Doctors. And uh, the end of last year as part of their 60th anniversary celebration, 60 years since they first broadcast Doctor Who, the BBC put all of those old episodes from back in the day onto iPlayer. So hundreds and hundreds of them, so you can go back and watch them all. And uh, I thought, as a special treat to Astrid, um, I suggested that we watch them. And so we've been, uh, we've been watching our way through some of them. And a couple of weeks ago, we watched uh, a, a fascinating story with Tom Baker uh, playing the part of the Doctor. Uh, and as happens with some regularity in Doctor Who, um, aliens were carrying out a devastating attack on planet Earth. And, um, but in, in this story, you never actually saw the aliens. They were attacking, but without firing a single shot. The alien enemy had done something, fired a death ray or put something in the water or some other terrible thing, and the people on earth were turning on each other. Fights were breaking out in the streets, businesses and industry were, were grinding to a halt because the workforce just couldn't get along with each other. Uh, it, it was, everybody was turning on one another. Even the heroes of the story were bickering and snapping and sniping at each other. And of course, as happens 
with some regularity in Doctor Who, uh, it fell to the Doctor to diagnose this terrible thing that the alien enemy had done uh, and uh, how they were making everyone behave so awfully. And at the crux moment of the story, the Doctor gets a glint in his eye, as happens with some regularity in Doctor Who, and he said, oh, that's clever. They've made everybody 100% sure that they are completely right. They've made everybody 100% sure that they are completely right about everything. And society crumbled. And it's fiction, of course it is. It's just a story. But what an astutely observed commentary on human nature. It's fiction. Of course it is. But I've met way too many Christians who appear to have just stepped off the set of that episode of Doctor Who. Um, maybe you have too. There's a fact about the Christian faith that every, every thinking Christian, sooner or later, has to come to terms with. And that fact is that there are matters of faith on which devout Godly, intelligent, and biblically faithful Christians disagree. And to some, that, that realization, just recognizing that, comes as a bit of a shock. Somebody that Astrid and I know very, very well uh, went to train to be a preacher in, in their church, and their church required them to do some training. And they started reading the kinds of book that dig into the meaning of different Bible passages uh, at quite a depth, commentaries on those passages. And it came as a real shock to them to discover that the commentaries didn't agree with each other about what some of those passages meant. They found that quite a hard thing to, to wrestle with and come to terms with. But there are matters of faith on which devout, godly, intelligent, and biblically faithful Christians disagree. And the worldwide church throughout its 2,000 years of history has a rich and varied legacy of shamefully mishandling that truth. And tragically, since the earliest days of the church, our answer to disagreement has generally been division. That's what we've done for 2,000 years. There was a, a guy who was a, a bishop in the very early church, somebody called Irenaeus. And he lived at the time when they, they already had all the books and, uh, and letters that were going to become the New Testament. But they also had a whole load of other books and letters that had been written by Christian leaders. And some of them were, were really quite out there. And they hadn't yet agreed which ones were going to be included in the New Testament. So you can imagine the number of disagreements they had. They hadn't yet got the New Testament of the Bible. They had all the books that were going to be in it, but they hadn't decided on which ones were going to be in it. And Irenaeus wrote this letter about the temptation to split over some issue or other. And he wrote this. No reformation of so great importance can be affected by them as will compensate for the mischief arising from their schism. Let me put that into plain English. Even if you're right... The evil of dividing the body of Christ outweighs the good of being right. Even if you're right, 
the evil of dividing the body of Christ outweighs the good of being right. The church is famously terrible at disagreeing well. And my friends, it is time we outgrew that reputation, isn't it? Thank you, whoever said yes. And the problem comes when we reduce the meeting of two different opinions or the two different perspectives to a battle in which one side has to win and therefore the other side has to inevitably lose. Because at that point, we're no longer listening. We're just scoring points off of each other. At that point, we're no longer learning anything. We're just competing with each other. At that point, we've replaced constructive dialogue with the inevitable triumph of whoever shouts the loudest or whoever rolls out the biggest guns in this argument. And actually, everybody loses. It all goes wrong when we allow a difference of opinion to be reduced to a power struggle within the church. Coming back to what I read a few moments ago from Colossians 3, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Those are Christian principles. And if you abandon your Christian principles when you're arguing for what you think are your Christian principles then what have you actually got left? We have to learn to disagree better. And it's fairly easy to identify what disagreeing badly looks like. It looks like caricaturing the other point of view, misrepresenting it to make it easier to deride it or undermine it or argue against it. Um, a lot of years ago, 30 plus years ago, I was part of a church that was a little bit like this. And at the time, we were debating the subject of women in ministry. Now, that may be a, a strange idea to you if you've only ever been in churches which have women standing at the front as ministers and leaders and preachers and so on. Uh, and if that's a, a brand new idea to you, you need to know that there are a small number of verses in the Bible that make it sound like that is something that women are not allowed to do. And if you read them at face value, it says that fairly clearly. And most of us see those verses in the light of the culture and situation and historical context into which they were written, and also in the light of the fact that if you read other parts of the New Testament, it's pretty clear that they had women that were leaders in the church. And so we recognize that those verses need to be read in that way. And so we have women leaders in the church. But 35 years ago, in the church that I was part of, um, that was something that we were debating. Because their tradition, their practice had always been that the only people allowed to be leaders were the men. And so that we were discussing whether to change our practice. And it, as you can imagine, it was, it was quite a, an emotional subject. It was quite a subject on which people had quite strongly held theological feelings. Um, but the discussion took a turn when a small number of, of the most outspoken advocates of women in leadership, with whom I agreed, but they started to depict anyone that held the other point of view as a woman-hating misogynist. 
And the discussion stopped being about the subject that we were discussing, and it started to be about what dark place in your soul led to the fact that you feel differently from me on this subject. I wonder whether you've ever found yourself in a conversation like that or an argument like that. It never leads to a positive outcome ever. Arguing in a bad way. Disagreeing badly can look like threatening and bullying. I can shout louder than you. I can pour scorn on your faithfulness to scripture. I can manipulate you through threats and bullying. Uh, over my dead body will we do this. If we don't do things my way, I'm out of here. Manipulation and bullying. And at, at that point, all intelligent debate is lost. You're, you're probably aware, you should be aware, that there are debates in the Baptist church at the moment at a national level around sexuality and specifically around same-sex marriage. And it's a complex subject. It's theologically complex, it's pastorally complex. Uh, emotionally, there's lots and lots of strong feelings on, on every side of the discussion. Um, and those things are all being expressed, and it's right that they are. We, we have to be able to have good, robust discussions about these things in the church, don't we? But I'm going to be honest with you, I've been quite appalled at the behaviour of a small number of ministers in this discussion. There's a small group of ministers, and it doesn't matter which side of the discussion they're on, I'm not going to tell you which side of the discussion they're on, but their debating tactics have boiled down to publicly questioning the faith of those ministers involved in the conversation who don't agree with their point of view. They've issued what amounts to a, a list of threats if the debate doesn't go their way. And if the debate does go their way, they've openly talked about throwing those ministers who disagree with them out of the Baptist Union. That is not a Christ-like use of power. And that is a use of power that has no place in church discussions or conversations. But I wonder, when we're involved in a discussion and when it doesn't immediately go our way, what ways are we tempted to bring force to bear? when the strength and weight of our words doesn't seem to be enough to turn things our way? What ways are we tempted to bring force to bear? Because it's an unhealthy way of disagreeing. And disagreeing badly uh, can look like an, an inappropriate user. Can, can I talk about playing the God card? Uh, would you know, understand what I mean? Let me explain what I mean. It, it, it looks like an inappropriate use of the God card. God has told me that I am wrong and you are, sorry, I am right and you are wrong. That might have been a Freudian slip right there. Um, one, of the, um, one of the joys of, of my sabbatical last year uh, was, was getting to, to visit some other churches in the area and, and sort of anonymously sampling their welcome and so on. And, and it was a, a really wonderful experience, actually, on the, on the whole. Uh, but I visited one church one Sunday um, in the autumn I am not going to tell you which church it was for reasons that will become obvious. 
And after a, a service that was, was quite enjoyable, um, somebody spotted me as a new, new face in the church. And uh, they came over and they said, oh, let me introduce you to this couple, who are obviously a couple in the church that they reserve for these occasions when somebody new comes along. Um, and so I got chatting to that couple over a cup of coffee, and we talked about some fairly mundane stuff for, for a few minutes. And then somewhat out of the blue, um, the lady of the couple told me just how strongly she felt about one particular issue uh, that was being discussed in the church at the time. And um, I'm not shy. <laughs> but I, I was quite restrained. I, I just said, that's interesting. As it happens, I see that issue in a different way from you. And I promise you, I stopped there. That was all I said. I didn't say any more than that. It was like I had pressed a button. And she squared up to me and delivered a five-minute lecture on why she was right and I was wrong, why her view was the only possible biblical view and mine was not, and the heart of which was that God had given her a dream in which he had told her that on this issue she was right and anyone who disagreed with her was wrong. And when she got to the end of her five-minute monologue, not a word of a lie, she turned around and walked away. She had no interest whatsoever in what I might have to say or even how I might want to respond to what she had said to me. She had given me her lecture and she was gone. And I have to say, my first thought was I was rather glad that had happened to me as a minister who is fairly certain of my faith, um, because if it had happened to somebody who was genuinely visiting church for the first time, I don't think they would ever have come back. I mean, I certainly wouldn't have when I was visiting church first. I wonder how many people's experience of church, I wonder how many people's first experience of church is as awful as that. Now, I want to be clear. I believe that God speaks to people in dreams and visions and prophecies and various other supernatural means. I really do believe that. And I believe that when he says something that way, it needs to be weighed and tested before we hold on to it too tightly and before we give it too much weight. My experience of God speaking that way is that he's far more likely to speak to me to tell me that I'm wrong and everybody else is right than to tell me that I'm right and everybody else is wrong. If you have a dream from God in which he tells you that you're right and everybody else in sight is wrong, be very careful. Because it just may be that you're listening to your ego and not to the Spirit of God. But disagreeing badly can look like an inappropriate use of the God card. So let's go back to the passage that I read and, uh, and look at some of that again. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. 
It's not going to tell you that that was not a dollop of sickly sweet platitude that was sent to a church who were all getting on famously with each other. If we've got any differences in the church at all today, it is nothing to the differences that there were between the Jews and Gentiles in the early church. And it was really nothing to the differences that there were between slaves and free people, many of whom would have been slave owners in the early church. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I wonder, when you and I meet a Christian with whom we don't agree, do we clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience? Or do we arm ourselves with proof texts, knock down arguments, slurs against whether they've really read the Bible and listened to God, as I have. I wonder. So, in the light of the, uh, the passage that we're looking at, and a number of others like it, what does it look like for us to disagree well in the church? Because it doesn't say don't disagree. What does it say, what does it look like to disagree well? Well, it, it has to start with humility. It has to start with humility. Believing our convictions, but holding them with a measure of humility and lightness. But Paul, isn't, isn't faith meant to be a certainty about what we believe? Isn't that what faith's all about? No, faith is meant to be a certainty in whom we believe. Jesus never told us to be unteachable for the Lord. He never said that. Jesus never told us to be closed to, to new ideas or perspectives. In fact, if you read through the New Testament, particularly the Gospels, just about every time that Jesus' disciples thought that maybe they'd got the hang of this new Jesus-centered faith, he would put them in some new position, some new context that challenged their suppositions and expanded their horizons and forced them to re-examine everything that they thought that they were certain of. Didn't he? Have I put you to sleep, didn't he? And why would we, why would we think that Jesus was only going to do that with those first 12 disciples? There's a guy called Adam Grant. He's a, a leading psychology professor. Um, he published a book last year called Think Again. And in it, he, he says this. Um, intelligence is our ability to think and to learn. But if intelligence is our ability to think and learn, the missing skill in the modern world is the ability to rethink and unlearn those things that we have learned that have turned out to be wrong. The ability to consider new facts, to embrace different perspectives, to question our own assumptions and to acknowledge that we don't know everything quite as much as we thought we did. 
Or as James puts it in the Bible rather more succinctly, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And of course it has to start with listening. Listening listening brings us into dialogue. It brings us into conversation. We have to be willing to listen and we have to be willing to be listened to. Very simply, I can't hear you if you won't talk to me. We have to be willing to be listened to. Because if we shy away from discussing, we actually deny our brothers and sisters the benefit of our perspective. The benefit of the the, the part of the common wisdom that God has given us. But that, that requires us to develop the trust in one another to be able to give voice to our convictions and to be able to give voice to our questions and uncertainties. And that means that we all have to be worthy of that kind of trust. And I wonder, does my response towards someone with whom I wholeheartedly and honestly disagree, which is allowed, does my response towards them make this a safe place or an unsafe place for them to speak honestly? Does my response towards someone with whom I disagree make this a safe place or an unsafe place for them to speak honestly? And it has to start with treating those with whom we disagree with respect rather than with contempt. Treating them as godly allies from whom maybe maybe we can learn something rather than as enemies to be defeated in this discussion. I've, uh, I've got a coffee mug on my desk that was given to me by a friend who knows me quite well. On the side it says, I'm silently correcting your grammar. Sometimes it's not silent because I dream of a day when we will all make fewer grammatical errors. Um, But I also recognise that it's probably a bad habit and that I probably need to rein it in occasionally. But there's a worse habit and it's this. I'm silently correcting your theology. Or put a different way, I'm only actually listening to you so that I can point out where you're wrong. Have you ever had a conversation that's felt a little bit like that? There's an ancient Jewish practice when two people or two parties are in dispute. And the way they go about it is that they agree that probably neither of them are going to persuade the other around to their point of view. And so they set out to find what they call a reconciling third opinion. It's not my opinion and it's not your opinion. It's a third opinion, a reconciling third opinion. A new position on this subject on which we've fallen out, which is not fully familiar or comfortable to either party, but around which both parties can be reconciled and can move forward together. A fresh perspective, a a middle ground, an undiscovered country where we can disagree without breaking unity. 
A place, if you like, where we care more about listening well than about winning. And it is way, way easier for me to stand here and preach on it than it is for us to put it into practice. I recognize that. But does it sound like a godly ideal that's worth pursuing? Now, I'm quite sure uh, most of you are sitting there asking the question, so are you talking about one specific topic here this morning, Paul? And at one level, yep, absolutely, of course I am. Over the last year as a church, we've been in a discussion about sexuality, and we've had some really good conversations on that subject. We've had one or two slightly less good conversations on that subject, but mostly they've been really healthy and positive, and that's good. And I'm well aware that for some of us, we're really sure of everything we think on this subject, and we're kind of itching for the whole conversation to move forward. And for some of us, we're still quite confused and unsure about what we think. And for some of us, we're actually really nervous of even discussing such a potentially contentious and inflammatory subject. And for some of us, if we're really honest, we're probably wishing we could stick our heads in the sand and make the whole thing go away. Um, and that conversation that we're having as a church still has some way to go. And inevitably, that means that as a church, we are going to have to wrestle with what it looks like to disagree well. To disagree well. Perhaps even to see if we can reach a fresh perspective together. And that's going to be a topic of conversation at the church meeting that's coming up in a couple of weeks. But I'm not just talking about that subject this morning. I'm talking about more than that one discussion, more than that one topic. I'm talking about a fresh perspective on faith and on conflict, on certainty and on humility before God. May TBC be a safe place to have robust, honest discussions. We need to be able to do that. It's not about hiding away and not talking about them. May we be a safe place to have robust, honest discussions on any and every subject. And when we disagree, which we will, may we learn to disagree well. Can we pray together? Would you stand with me if, uh, if you feel able? So I'm aware that I've talked for a little bit longer than normal this morning. I apologise for that, but, uh, but there was quite a lot I wanted to say. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we confess before you that each one of us has both healthy and unhealthy responses inside us. Uh, to those people with whom we disagree. And we want to submit that to you. And we want to ask, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you reveal our hearts to ourselves? Would you show us where our inner responses to people that we disagree with are unhealthy, unhelpful, or unchristlike? And Lord, would you change our thinking? Would you change us from the inside? 
Lord, we want to submit to you our entrenched mindsets. We want to submit to you those subjects, those times, those contexts in which we are unwilling to discuss. Lord, would you soften us from the inside out? Lord, as your people, may we be teachable. May we be open to new things. May we grow to a place that we can trust one another. To be honest about what we feel strongly about. To be honest about what we simply don't know what we think about without feeling threatened by that. Lord, may we be, 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 uh, may we be people who learn and grow together and who resist every temptation to dig a trench and throw things at each other. May we be worthy of one another's trust. Holy Spirit, would you teach us to disagree well? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.